2: Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber, who will join us in a second. Stocks are set to take a breather here as the market gets a chance to focus on vaccine administration, expecting some comments from POTUS and economic growth as the IMF boosts its forecast for Europe and the U.S. Bond market finds some footing today, too. Our roadmap begins with the continued Archegos fallout. Credit Suisse taking a nearly $5 billion hit, and two top executives are out. The president, uh, the reopening trade and some encouraging co- signs for the economic recovery as the vaccine rollout speeds up. Uh, the president will speak on that later on today. And Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell delivering a warning to corporate America saying, stay out of politics. Jim, though, first on CS, we did expect uh, an update today and we got some firm numbers behind that.
3: Well, I, look, this is devastating. The the losses they took versus everybody else. Uh, I know that the risk control chief has been traded, but I think the whole management has to go. I mean, this is one of those things that's just unforgivable. Uh, If you don't know how to handle uh, a busted uh, client, then you shouldn't be handling anyone. And this is uh, it's just a, a really dark day for Credit Suisse. And I can't I can't emphasize this enough. A lot of companies dealt with this firm. Uh, J.P. Morgan said we don't want to deal with these guys. They did. They questioned the character, which I think was absolutely right. Uh, Goldman, David Solomon, they managed to get out very, very fast. Morgan Stanley got out very, very fast. We're still still dealing with Credit Suisse selling things. So, wow, uh, this is remarkable. And I I think that Credit Suisse has to completely reevaluate itself. And I think the uh, I think the regulars have to reevaluate them. I'm not sure they know what they're doing.
2: All right, we'll talk about it a little bit more uh, with David, but Jim, yeah, after a few block trades yesterday on some familiar names, uh, suspending the buyback, dividend cut by two thirds. uh, We'll talk a lot more about CS, which, by the way, they say they have substantially reduced the vast bulk of its exposure, but not all uh, to (laughs) Arcegos. I mean, Uh,
3: it's really Carl. Yeah, I was doing some work on uh, on Farfetch, and I kept thinking, "This is a far-fetched event." Whoa, one of their stocks that they got hung with, and they were hung. Uh, there 's a way to deal with this. you get rid of it so quickly that your head should spin, but no um, these guys i don 't know what they 're doing I still don't know what they 're doing they don 't know what they 're doing they don 't
2: uh, jim we'll get to more we 'll get to more of it in a minute. The other big story today uh, is uh, reports that the president today is going to move up Jim uh, the deadline in which all uh, American adults would be eligible for the vaccine. Uh, it was originally May 1. Now I think we're going to hear uh, April 19th. Uh, they're also talking about a new benchmark of 150 million doses administered in the first 75 days uh, of uh, the Biden White House. Jim, our vaccination rate is five times the global average. I mean, it's, it's, it's really remarkable the pace we're setting.
3: It really is. I mean, remember, we lost J&J, so to speak. J&J what, about four million they got from the Netherlands. uh, We would have expected J&J to have just a a flood of vaccines right now. But instead, because uh, Emergent screwed up, and I know that J&J took uh, ownership of that. They didn't have to. It's Emergent. But uh, these other companies, I mean, Pfizer, they're unbelievable. Moderna. I mean, these companies were unstoppable in getting this out. And the governments, the state governments seem to have gotten the hang of things. Uh, I just, uh, you can't applaud them enough. It really is incredible. And the whole system ended up being supercharged. Uh, There was no more rancor. Uh, There was no more uh, uh, state versus uh, Fed. And look, I got to applaud what happened at uh, CBS, Walgreens, Walmart. They just figured it out. Once you got into the private sector, they really did a really good job.
2: Yeah, there was a very quickly a realization in the Beltway that people would rather go to their local pharmacy right. and drugstore uh, than to a mass vaccination site. By the way, Jim, Gallup has some new numbers out this morning. Uh, they've been asking ever since covid began, how worried are you about contracting the, the disease? It's now 35 percent of Americans say they're worried about uh, getting covid. That's a cycle low. Uh, as uh, as vaccinations roll in and people look at the summer and and, and see the risk as being uh, certainly a lot less than we saw last fall and summer.
3: Well, I I was speaking to Dr. Topol yesterday. He's an excellent follow. He's at the Scripps for those Cleveland Clinic. He basically said, listen, no one should be dying of this anymore. We have so many weapons against it that it is a severe flu. Now, that doesn't mean that it's something we should mindful of. Sixty thousand people uh, got it just the other day. But there is a sense that you're not going to die from it. Uh, that it can be treated, and that our country's getting a handle on where you can go and where you can't. And if you really feel uh, you're younger and you want to go out, I, I, I think that there is a, uh, a propensity to say in large parts of the country, go enjoy yourself. Uh, the, Carl, you <laughs> talked about it the other day. Uh, with so many seniors, so many people with comorbidities having been vaccinated, it really is kind of like, all right, if you're out, uh, the people that you're most concerned about getting sick, uh, many of them have been taken care of, other than the ones that are really obstinate about it or feel like that there's something very wrong with the vaccine. So uh, when I look at these other countries, I cannot believe like every day goes by and nothing happens. Nothing in the AstraZeneca fiasco. Oh, my. Uh, mm. it, this is something that our country did. It did. We were very uh, let's say we were arbitrary at the beginning, but now we're authoritative. And you're so right. I mean, you, you go to a, I, my wife got vaccinated at Walmart. And she said, "Yeah, it was really incredible. And of course, she stopped and bought stuff at Walmart, which is really one of the things Walmart would like. But, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but she said, oh. And she said to me, she said, you know what, this Walmart, I mean, it's not bad looking. I mean, Maybe we should get our plants there. Next thing you know, we're going to Walmart. I mean, it's rather amazing. I mean, these companies really put on a good show while they have done an excellent job. And now I think I got my New Jersey thing today. It says, look, everyone's going to be vaccinated in a couple of weeks. This is incredible, Carl. Just think where we were. There is a vaccine glut, and we didn't even have J&J, which is, I think, was so integral uh, to the process. There are J&J vaccines in the system, but we know that the FDA is looking very hard at this emergent plan where uh, you really did expect that the vast majority of J&J vaccines would come from.
2: Yeah, I know, Jim, I got my first dose on Friday at a CVS. Uh, very little friction in and out in a few minutes. I think a third of New Yorkers now have had at least one dose, and it kind of leads us to uh, some uh, some stock stories. You got uh, Southwest bringing back about 200 pilots from voluntary leave. Uh, of course, uh, Goldman talking about bringing some traders back in London starting this week, and then Norwegian talked to you about this 2 pronged plan to get sailing going both in and out of the U.S. later on this summer. Here's what you here's the, what they told John Mad.
3: It's time to get back to cruising. We have a solid plan. The plan we, we, we put out to the CDC today is comprehensive. It's robust. It has as its cornerstone. Everyone on board is going to be vaccinated. I challenge you to tell me of another venue anywhere that has this kind of ironclad health and safety protocols in place.
2: Pretty forceful argument there, Jim.
3: There are some uh, behind the scenes, some really terrible things. Uh, how could the CDC not be talking to Frank Del Rio, the CEO? They're not, they're not even talking. They're not willing to talk. What more do you need? You can go to a casino and who knows who's vaccinated. Uh, 40,000 people are a baseball game. I cruise in a second. I mean, I don't get this. If everybody's vaccinated. Uh, what are you worried about a variant? I mean, there have been 400,000 people have taken trips away from here, just a handful of COVID. They really know how to handle it now. I think the CDC has to say, we got to reward companies that are saying you cannot get on our, in this case, ship, unless you have a vaccine, you've been vaccinated. I don't know what the CDC wants beyond. What can Frank Del Rio do? What he's uh, changed the filters, Uh, everybody's vaccinated. You are not going to have any kids on the, on these ships, even though many, many people used to. one out of every four used to take kids. But he knows that they're not being vaccinated. Sixty percent of people only allowed to go. Uh, willing to try trial anything. And the CDC is so arbitrary. They won't even talk to this man. What do they want versus going to a casino? and It's like anything goes. I just think it's just wrong. They should at least open a dialogue with Frank Del Rio. I think it's outrageous they won't even just pick up the phone and say, Frank, let me tell you something. We are on board if you do X, Y, Z. But I don't know what else he can do. What else can he do? It is just crazy. Well, well, certainly his...
2: The letter that, uh, that, the, that he wrote is intended to at least start that conversation, uh, David. You know, um, Jim mentioned some fears about a fourth wave or various uh, variants. Fauci was on uh, MSNBC this morning and was asked, are we in store for a fourth surge? And he said, I think the vaccine is probably going to prevent that from happening.
1: Good. I certainly hope that's the case, as we all do. Uh, guys, I mean, I don't know. Jim, listen, it, did you see the um, the CDC coming out about surfaces less than a one in 10,000 chance of getting the virus?
3: Well, this from whole thing, wait, you, look, uh, last year at this time, I thought that you,
1: was helpful. Is that going to hurt? Is that going to hurt Clorox and, uh, and Lysol? Cells?
3: It's about time that they recognize that it's aerosol. Now, Clorox has been hurt already uh, just because people uh, stockpile. But the, the CDC's emphasis on surfaces killed people. Uh, it just killed people. It was about air. If you go watch that documentary, the searing documentary on HBO about the, uh, the Diamond Princess, all people were concerned. They just told everybody, listen, it's the surface, the surface, the surface. No, it wasn't the surface. Sure, you have to be careful, but it was aerosol. It was the air. And because they were so wrong, and I understand that, David, you're going to say to me, Jim, it was a novel illness. We don't know. But their insistence, their dogmatic insistence that it was surfaces really threw people off uh, and caused a lot of death.
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad, Carl, that I only uh, Clorox my groceries for a handful of weeks there, given that that was clearly not something that <laughs> needed to be done. Did you Clorox your um, steaks? I don't know what the chances are. Yeah, I don't know what the chances are anymore of whether you can actually catch the virus from passing somebody on the sidewalk in that millisecond. That's my next question, of course. Continue to watch people wear masks outside, everywhere in New York. But, uh, but we'll see. We're making great progress, I guess, is the key. Right, Carl?
2: I mean, definitely getting more intelligence. It would have been nice to know a year ago. I, I wonder, guys. Remember when we all talked about the handshake being dead? We, I think we were still the post nine. Yeah. I wonder if that, if that comment from Walensky yesterday means it's back, or maybe that ship sailed already,
3: Jim. I don't know. It depends whether you like the person or not.
2: <laughs> we'll, t- we'll take a break here. We got, we got some good calls this morning uh, on Snap, on Chevron, Peloton, Wynn, and Morgan Stanley cutting the price target on Apple. Well I will talk to Faber about uh, Credit Suisse in a minute.
1: Welcome back. did want to get back to a a topic, of course, that Carl and Jim were talking about at the top of the show, namely those significant losses uh, taken by Credit Suisse and its prime brokerage operations as a result of the uh, winding down of the family office, Archegos. Of course, we still continue to have so many questions about so much of what went on here, uh, including how Archegos was able to even uh, amass what at this point seems to certainly have been as much as a 30, perhaps even 40 percent position in shares of Viacom and very significant positions in shares of a number of other uh, sig- major companies as well. As you take a look at shares of Credit Suisse, by the way, those shares have suffered. Uh, and if you're an employee there, you got your compensation to a certain extent comes in stock. You got it not that long ago and you've watched it decline ever since. Not just because of Arcegos, but also the Greensill Um uh, problems they've had there with unwinding that fund as well and the relationship between Credit Suisse and that well-documented by the Wall Street Journal. But Jim, on this one, I mean, I heard your comments earlier and certainly uh, they ha- uh, you, you just wonder. It's you know, risk management uh, and it's also terrible trading decisions. They were sitting on this position. We saw Goldman Sachs blow it out. We saw Morgan Stanley, even Nomura, even Wells Fargo and who knows who else they sat on it and yet yesterday they then are, are selling thirty-four million shares of Iacom. They got it done at 4125. By the way, the Farfetch at 48, and I think the VIP at twenty-nine, just so everybody knows where those blocks actually did trade. Um, and their own stock has suffered, as I mentioned as well. They say this it's substantially all now. But we still have, why do these firms even have prime brokerage? Uh, I wonder sometimes, Jim. Given the losses they take there, does Nomura really need to have it when they lose two billion dollars? And by the way, there's counterparty risk for the hedge funds that do business with them, too. Remember Lehman when they do these swaps. So you, you even may be hesitant to do business with some of them in the future.
3: Well, look, I, I think if you're trying to crack into the business, maybe you offer prime brokerage and you give them some sort of a rebate. You do something that, that attracts them. I totally agree with you, David. One of the things you learn when you're at one of these firms is that if someone uh, can't pay, you better get rid of it so fast, whatever you own. It is never a question. I remember there was some uh, client that I had and I I went to my uh, the person who was in charge of my division. I said, look, I don't know. I mean, I think the stock's too low. I think we ought to hold it. And the guy said, yeah, absolutely. Picked up the phone and sold it. I said, but I, I thought we just said, you agree. And he goes, only idiots hold stock. What are you trying to do, play the market? What do you know about these? See, I don't know where the Credit Suisse people got their culture. Because everybody that I've ever dealt with at Goldman knows that you don't shoot first, you shoot the person first, you tell the person yeah. who's in charge, you're done, OK, and then you sell it. And I can't believe that everyone I mean anyone who touched the, this trade, their heads, they should be out on the street right now, because this was fundamental, David. You never do this. You don't play the market right. with, with, uh, and, and, with with the fetch, the far fetch. Far-fetched. Yeah, what,
1: what are they thinking? <laughs> it's point. like, oh, that's high-end fashion. We like it. To your I know, to your point, I mean, Solomon was on, CEO Goldman Sachs was on with, uh, with Squawk Box this morning. Take a listen, because Goldman did do exactly what you just said. They saw signs of trouble, and they blew it out.
2: But this is not the first time this has happened, and it's certainly not going to be the last. We'll certainly see this again. From my perspective, our risk controls worked well. We identified risk early on. We took prompt corrective action to lower our risk according to the contract that we had with the client. And I can't really speak to what other banks have done and how they've handled the situation, but I'm very pleased with the way our team handled it.
1: There's that culture you were talking about. Now, by the way, Jim, it's interesting. Morgan Stanley also is an interesting one here. They also got, uh, obviously... uh, By the way, when you add up all these blocks, I mean, it does get to some enormous number... you got to be careful, no double counting, but still enormous number that Archegos had. How this was allowed to happen, of course, continues to be a key question. But Morgan Stanley, remember, was the lead underwriter on the, on the share offering. At the same time, their prime brokerage, only a day or two later, was basically saying, we've got a real problem here. That's an interesting right. juxtaposition, if you will, as well for Morgan Stanley. What they were dealing with, not to mention all those people who bought stock at 85
3: who cannot be happy at all. No, not at all. And it's worth discussing Viacom a little more because uh, the uh, Credit Suisse had some inkling that they were that this company was completely overwhelmed uh, with Viacom. Right. I mean, Archegos had so much Viacom and Credit Suisse must have known that they had it. How could they not have finished their Viacom? Were they hoping for a bounce? I mean, I think they were literally hoping for a bounce. I mean, which is just like yeah. elemental that you don't do that. Remember when 10 cent when Goldman blew it out, I thought there was some sort of PRC rule that made it so that, uh, that there was some seller for no, uh, that was just orchestrated by the government. No, it was right. Goldman saying, look, no. we don't care what price you get out. And look at that. That was in yep. retrospect pretty good. Farfetch. There no, just it is. I don't need music. this I mean, credit, It's like a joke. Yeah. Credit Suisse owned, I think
1: they were down as uh, 55 million. Again, this was Arkego's, you know, uh, economic <laughs> control. But they, I, don't, I think they may have blown. Maybe they did get out of that because we didn't see any big block trades of TME yesterday. Um Jim, but your point's well taken, and it's just, by the way, you know, Credit Suisse—they've been doing really well on investment banking. Right. Uh, they've been one of the leaders in spacs. They've been advising on a decent amount of deals in terms of M and A that have been out there. Uh, it's it's this though that has just come back to crush them, and of course, they have dismissed a number of people associated with it. But it, it never fails to uh, no. I mean, to,
3: David, uh, to, to, to my just, wonder is you just this. wonder what were they thinking? Did someone yeah. actually say, you know, guys, look? If we hold on, Paramount Plus is doing really well. Or if we hold on, maybe, <laughs> maybe I mean, really, I mean, what if we hold uh, on, yeah. you know, the NFL contract? I mean, there had to be someone in that room who literally was making one of the dumbest arguments. Hey, Bob Backus is really better than you think. I, I think we ought to make, let's just make a stand here. I mean, that's not your job. It doesn't matter. Uh-huh. I would, I need, you know, but of course, you know, we don't have subpoena power. But wouldn't you love to know, I mean, Carl, wouldn't you love to know someone saying, you know what, I have historically really liked CBS program. You know, they're the number one network. I I, I, I think we ought to let it ride here because uh, Criminal Minds, remember that? That was worth a fortune. And and let's see if we can't get them to do some sort of a, I don't know, a CSI uh, Wall Street. I mean, there had to have been stupid people there because you would never do what they did.
2: Never. Uh, It is... Yeah, it's easy to chuckle at it, Jim. uh, But David, you know, if you took a dark view, you would argue this sort of reflects the difference between valuations uh, across assets right now and fundamentals, right? That disconnect. How can this be happening, given what we know about the business itself?
1: right well listen when it came to viacom and discovery to a certain extent we asked that question uh, every single day right. uh, and again these are strong businesses but you know the idea that that free cash flow even at, at viacom is going to approach what it was most recently no they're going to be spending a lot on that direct-to-consumer business for quite some time to come and they did manage to get a lot more money to do it with given they were able to sell that stock at far higher levels Carl, but carl but uh, your point's a good one well taken we see it a lot in this market right now of course which we will get back to taking a broader look at, uh, I
3: guess, uh, in just a few moments. David, you only did—you left out one thing, the NFT that they might have gotten for I Love Lucy. Ah. (laughs) That would have been something I would have mentioned.
2: (laughs) There's a look at futures, uh, 10-year, 168. We're back in a moment.
0: Let's get straight to the point.
1: All right. A little less than two minutes before we get started with trading. Uh, let's squeeze in a mad dash, Jim. It's Apple.
3: Yes. We've got two notes today. We have Cowan talking about uh, the services stream doing much better uh, and, and really just basically saying this thing is uh, growing to the point that it is a needle mover. And then we have a piece. Some people are guarding as curious Uh, by Katie Huberty, biggest bull on Morgan Stanley raising services forecasts on stronger licensing revenue. That's the headline. But there is a price target cut from uh, 164 down to 156. Now, if you read through this, the cut is about the compression of price to earnings multiples in the peers. And there you'd be thinking about Microsoft. You might be thinking about Google. Now, I do question how much to emphasize the price target cut. Versus the raising uh, service forecast, this service forecast is the part of the machine that is Apple gets the higher multiple. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Apple has an upside surprise. And I think that that uh, surprise, surprise. And that does matter. And so I would read less into the price target cut and more into the service revenue forecast going up and not care about the price compression. David, Uh, let that take care of itself.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, kind of been flat. We can see it for uh, for quite a while now, and a down about five percent this year. You the would bargain. own it here, then, is what I'm hearing you right. say. It's the bargain yeah. in the
3: group. Look, one of the things that's really incredible just is that Fang, other than Alphabet, really had lags. So I think people are really jumping on it because yeah. they're cheaper than the highest growth stocks that you know and said over and over again are selling at price to sales not sustainable for the average institution.
2: We're going to watch it uh, surely as we keep our eye on FANG today, guys. There's the opening bell at the NYSE and the NASDAQ and the S&P at the bottom of your screen. Uh, Jim, some of the other uh, growthy names that um, have seen a little bit of compression is, is Peloton. And today it is CS that initiates outperform. But 164, uh, they talk about the company uh, out investing their peers margins at 40 this year, going to 45, 46 by fiscal 25.
3: Look, I mean, this is one of those things where uh, I love the headline beauty in the eye of the of the bike holder. <laughs> Credit Suisse. They're comedians on two different things. Risk control and research. But I do like the um, I, I, I do like the call only just because we're now seeing who really has uh, pretty much made a stand and is able to carry out what they had during the stay at home. I will say this, though. It has not been the way that people are investing. If it's stay-at-home, it is being sold. If it's a company that got any uh, strength from uh, being at home, David, people don't want it. So I know that uh, Foley, who runs Peloton, very combative, very terrific guy, I think, because he stands for a great brand. But it's going to be a while before we see whether people stop ordering because they're going to spin classes. Spin classes, David.
1: Yes, imagine that. Well, again, so for the larger question of the... Uh, Stay at home trade, for lack of a better term at this point, you still would stay away, even though many of those stocks have come down from highs.
3: (laughs) Oh, I mean, look, we keep getting these price target boosts for United Airlines Southwest. I mean, Carl, people want to go away so much. They want to go out so much. What they don't want to do is ride on a Peloton inside. Be, they want to take a biking <laughs> trip outside, and then they want to be with their friends. I mean, this is a big change. And these airlines, it kind of reminds me of the chip shortage, Carl. It, it took everybody by surprise that there was so much buying in oh, yeah. and, and cars. Now you're, seeing a sh- you're going to see a shortage of planes. And these companies don't want to admit it other than the Southwest, which came through with some big orders.
2: Well, that's one reason, Jim, why uh, Delta started selling the middle seat. Uh, sooner than they uh, had planned because they were having to cancel flights on on lack of staff. I see UAL today says they're going to hire 10,000 new pilots oh. by 2030, obviously a long-range target. And Jim, TSA uh, passenger throughput, we, we monitored that pretty closely, 1.5, almost 1.6 million yesterday. We've had about three weeks of 1 million plus every
3: day. That's the longest stretch of
2: the pandemic. And
3: this is without being able to go to Europe. I mean, think about it. And with flights operating uh, to Asia, half the number of flights are operating. They're going to have to boost everything. The CDC, unlike what they did with uh, Frank Del Rio and the cruise ships, it has been pretty good about going uh, going outside. But I think that we're going to see a remarkable resurgence in air traffic when they get things. Look at that. When they get things uh, under yeah. control in Europe, whenever that happens, I think those people are ready to come here. I wouldn't be surprised if a Macy's, which is heavily, rel- heavily reliant on tourism, has a fantastic quarter once things open up. That is the one that has the best leverage. Uh, you know, David, I think that something's happening but- here that people are underestimating. And that is the amount of money that people have in their pockets. David, if you have a job, yeah. you haven't spent the money, it's time. You're going somewhere. You're ready Maybe to you're go. just going to a wedding
1: you're, somewhere. No, you're ready to go. Yeah, you're ready to go. That said, Jim, as we watch some of these stocks regain a great deal of, the, of the, what they lost, and obviously we've pointed out many times they've sold a lot of stocks, so they have certainly increased their share counts substantially over this last year. I still wonder, I mean, we bring the CEOs on, We talked to Gary Kelly about the future, we talked to so many of them. Um, Business travel continues to be a real question mark, and it gets to the larger question of as we finally get back to reopening, how many people really will be coming back to the office? Will it be 70, 80%, 90? How many executives will take, and salespeople, and everybody else will take back to going for the meeting, getting on the airplane all the time? You know, I think about road shows, for example, um, that have been going on lately, many times for SPACs. Nobody's traveling for these things, no. and they're perfectly happy. They can do a Zoom throughout the day. And I just wonder, to come back to airlines here, <laughs> trying to um, business travel You know, could be years before it really fully recovers, if at all.
3: Well, how about if you're uh, a major bank and you call your top people in and say, I want everyone who's vaccinated to call different clients and say, get out there and see them. Uh, just tell them, listen, we want to come see you. We miss you. And then they take you out to Den, which is a fancy restaurant that, that, uh, in New York. And they uh, have you go to a show or whatever. And the next thing you know, that firm's doing more business. I think that's what's going to happen. I think it's going to be you a... Do. a yes, you do. Yes, I do. So? Yes, I do. So you I think it th-
1: goes right back? So you do believe it goes back to what it was? Yes. Because, you know, so many of these companies, and we're not just talking about the big Wall Street banks here, but think about a large seller of software that has a big sales force. I mean, they've been doing business and doing it extraordinarily well by not leaving their homes.
3: Yeah, but it don't be uh, saving said,
1: a great deal of money as a result, Jim.
3: But Shantan and Orion boosted the expense structure for the yeah. fourth quarter cuz he expects people to go out. So, I don't know, David, he's about as good as it gets. He had a major quarter, and I think he is playing defense. He does not want people to uh, He doesn't want people to, to stray. So, look, I think it should. look, it's not going to be as much. But they've raised the tickets very substantially for individuals. And I think that there will be a lot of competition again. And the next thing you know, we're going to be saying, wow, you know what? Goldman went to see that client. You get on board. I mean, that client obviously is willing to see someone who's vaccinated. So it may not get back to all the way. But I do think that there's going to be fear that uh, the JP Morgan is going to get the client if uh, if Goldman doesn't. Mm-hmm. go. Carl, it is a competitive I think world that's out there.
2: I was going to say, at what point does uh, Darwinism, corporate Darwinism between firms and and between employees, right, Uh, uh, return? When when, when is it an edge when you're closer to the boss? David, the Journal's got a great piece today about commercial real estate, uh, an exclusive, where they look at some um, office leasing trends. And their general takeaway is that big companies are committing to big cities, but with a lot less space uh, for and lower rents for longer periods of time as they sort of do a big cost reset on their physical office space.
1: Yeah, and that's going to continue for quite some time. It's funny I had a couple of conversations with experts in this area yesterday. Funnily enough, Carl and you know I think the the thought is that a lot of space will be reconfigured for the new reality in some fashion. So you're going to have to, uh, as a landlord at least, there's going to be a capex involved, and you are going to expect lower. Uh, rents, substantially lower in many uh, many of the, the key metropolitan areas, uh, and it's hard to imagine you're ever going to fill the same amount of space that you did previously, or at least going to have a need for a great deal of additional space, uh, which does get back to you know, commercial, uh, commercial tenancy and what that's going to look like for those landlords, and even hotels and the like, Jim. Uh, again, you know, we talk about what we expect potentially and hope will be a boom in leisure travel, and it may very well happen quickly. But longer term, many of those hotels also rely on business customers. So I guess your thinking is it will eventually come back, given what you said earlier. But I think there's still a lot of question marks.
3: No, look, I, I, I'm not denying that that, cu- that kind of customer won't be back. I just think that we tend to take it for granted that, that Zoom worked. And I think Zoom's real good. Uh, I I use them all the time, but I also think that if I were in business, I would say, uh, look, uh, it's too significant. Why don't you go to that city? Why don't you see if that person's willing to see you just fly there? Give it a shot, Uh, because we're so concerned that Morgan Stanley is going to get that business if you don't go. I'm using the the financials because I've been in a world where I know that you wanted to see the see them face to face. I mean, if I worked at uh, one of these giant software companies, I would be concerned. It won't be as good. Uh, but I think it, it will be made up by the individual person who is catching up and going to a wedding every weekend. I mean, I, I think you're going to have a wedding every weekend. And some, some people are very convivial and they have something to do and then they haven't had anything to do in a long time. Carl, there's people who have been so cooped up. Uh, I just think it's going to be remarkable. Gonna, but that's been my Roaring Twenties thesis.
2: Yeah, we're going to we're going to see, Jim, whether households have so much money that they don't need to choose between spending more on their homes uh, and themselves and experiences like going out and travel. I do want to get you on, on oil briefly here. We got a lot of the oil companies uh, leading the charge in what is a pretty tepid tape. But Goldman does cut CVX to neutral. Uh, they talk about it being an outperformer against its peers since 2016. And there's better upside elsewhere, they argue.
3: Look, CVX, I got to tell you, I think think that that Chevron is the best in the group. I understand that they they like Exxon more. What I think is most interesting is we're really getting uh, people dumping on Pioneer. Uh, J.P. Morgan saying buy to hold. Why? Because Pioneer is going back to M&A. And they're issuing 27.2 million shares, David, for an alpha double point. It's a private equity alpha, and they also pay a billion dollars. And people don't want to see that. The, the, what happened here is that there was a shy away from M&A move, and there was a return of capital to shareholder move. David, Pioneer is breaking that. And I think people are very concerned that it's going to lead to a wave of M&A, and that in itself will hurt the group. I don't think so, but that's what people are Hmm. worried about. Interesting. Um, Well,
1: Jim, as you know, uh, we're going to get an opportunity to talk more about uh, a lot of different things involving oil and gas and, as well, uh, carbon capture and sequestration, because we are going to be joined by Darren Woods, the CEO of ExxonMobil, tomorrow right here on the program, guys. Uh, Looking forward to that conversation, certainly. Uh, I know we all are, um, so I did want to let our viewers know.
3: And and um, your colleague, Darren Woods.
1: My colleague. I didn't know. You. Yeah, I didn't know. You, you didn't know. No, I didn't know. You can't tell people you didn't know. Well, if we were together in the office, you would have known. OK, but CNBC won't let me uh, come, come. You won't back, believe who you know? I have. because like I crossed the border and that's it. I can't go back. We can never come back.
3: Carl, I'm never I, allowed back. I broke all the TV yeah. rules by saying that. Speaking truth that I didn't know Darren was oh, it's fantastic. i like, great, great job, David. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, great I gonna, job. I'll, call call example, David.
1: I'll call you later. <laughs> I'll call you later. I know. I'll call we'll, you later. We'll discuss it now that they all know that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a live man. example a of, of what
2: gets lost, guys. What gets lost <laughs> yeah. when we're not sort of uh, in the hallway together uh, chatting at our desks? Nope. Diamond <laughs> Hands Faber's got um, a good one. <laughs> Let's get to Bob Bissetti on this Tuesday. Hey, Bob.
4: Good morning, guys. And we will all be back at the New York Stock Exchange, I am quite sure, at one time. And I look forward to that as well. Flatish open, but don't kid yourself. This is a very powerful rally that we're in the middle of. Flatish. I mean, yeah, you got a little movement from energy, which has had a little trouble recently. But industrials, banks, tech, uh, the stuff that you look for to move the market, kind of on the flat side. But when I say this is a powerful rally, I mean, like, what are we doing? Are we buying travel and entertainment stocks because we're going to all go out in the second half of the year? Are we buying stay-at-home stocks? And the answer is we're buying a little bit of everything, and that's why the rally is so powerful. So look at these stay-at-home stocks. I know they're not supposed to be popular anymore, but, you know, yesterday there was Home Depot and Lowe's and Target at new highs and Sherwin-Williams at new highs and Masco at a new high. Um, Why? Well, people still apparently have money to buy things for their home and are continuing to intend to do that. And a lot of the big technology names, the growth sectors. So we had value at a new high yesterday. We had many growth names uh, at new highs yesterday. So we saw Microsoft and Alphabet uh, and Facebook at a new high. Uh, Texas Instruments put up some of the tech names there at New Highs yesterday. And, and many of the chip stocks, Slam Research, constantly uh, at New Highs. Uh, again, the beneficiaries of stay-at-home, but these have been market leaders for a long, long time. At the same time, most of the travel leisure are not New Highs, but they're awfully close. At the close yesterday, most of the big names uh, that we, we saw were 1% to 5% from New Highs, including uh, Delta, including Marriott, Carnival, uh, most of the uh, the big airlines, uh, as well. So not new highs, but darn close to it. So everything is sort of rising at this point. Industrial stocks, I keep pointing out, every single day, the old school stalwarts, uh, 3M, for example, Honeywell, all the railroads, uh, Eaton and Dover, these are really deep, big global cyclicals that are benefiting from that reopening story, all hitting new highs. So, so what's going on? Are we staying at home and buying things for the home? Or are we all going out and travel? And the answer is a little bit of both, and that's why the rally has been so powerful, so broad, and so much participation. Look where the S&P is. We moved up about 5% in the last seven days. So today, the S&P is up close to 9% for the year. The earnings growth uh, up close to 5%. Thanks to my friend Nick Colas uh, at Datatrack for pointing that out. So the S&P is moving faster than than the earnings growth, and the earnings growth is pretty good. So Again, once again, it looks like the analysts are a little too conservative in their numbers. That's what the market is saying. We'll see if that happens. Remember, we start earnings season next week. And only thing, the only thing, folks, anybody wants to hear about is the reopening story. Normally, CEOs are going to be very cautious. This time, I think people want to hear about the reopening story. going to be a very exciting earnings season starting next week. Carl, back to you.
2: All right, uh, Bob. Thank you. And of course, uh, that narrative is going to have an impact on what central banks around the world may say. Let's get to Rick Santelli. Well, you know what, uh, Carl? It doesn't seem to
5: have a huge impact on what central banks are saying yet, because of course we had Mester on yesterday on CNBC, and all the strength, and even she acknowledged how strong the jobs report was, but. Nay, nay, shall we put stimulus away is what she said. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. And I guess that is what's going to get exciting in the future because it doesn't matter what they say now. It's what the future reality is that they are going to have to deal with that will matter. And just because you tell people, take your time, the Fed's in the driveway warming up the car, doesn't mean that's what they're actually going to be doing as we start to, A, dip under 6% with regard to unemployment, and we will do that in the future, and of course, the notion that we're going to have seven-figure jobs reports, it almost seems inevitable. Look at the Treasury drift, if you will. Here's a chart of one week of 10-year rates, and it seems as though, once again, we're drifting from that mid-170s high close, which was on the 31st, and 177, the high uh, intraday, as you see on the left side of that chart. And maybe you see the drift most in the longest maturity, 30-year bond. This is a end-of-February look 245 is the high close, and we've continued to drift away. You can see it in the note over bond spread known as the knob. Here's a knob spread that goes back one year because it's basically right now the widest it's been in a year. And maybe it'll find footing here or not. Remember, what many traders like to look at the knob spread for is momentum on long dated Treasury yields. And when that spread was flattening out, what many said is hey, probably tens aren't going to zoom through that 175. So we want to see if it starts to make a footing of consolidation right in this mid '60s level, and if we consider the fact that foreign exchange and the strength in the dollar has altered some perceptions over the last couple months, but is starting to weaken again, and it's weakening because of the euro currency. Here's a two-week chart of the euros. You can see we're starting to pop through on the right side of the recent range. Open the chart up to February end of February, and you could clearly see that if we start to trade above that. Drop on the left side of the chart that was 118.50. We will start getting some momentum, and we're about ready to test it intraday right about now. Carl, Jim, David, back to you.
2: All right, Rick. Thank you, Uh, Rick Santelli. So as Rick said, uh, bond market finds a a little bit of their legs. Um, Major averages largely flat. VIX, though, below 18 for a third straight day. We're back in a moment.
0: I found it completely discouraging to find a bunch of corporate CEOs uh, getting in
1: the middle of politics. My advice to the corporate CEOs of America is to stay out of politics. Don't pick sides in these big fights.
2: That's uh, Senate Minority Leader McConnell weighing in yesterday on the CEOs who have been outspoken about issues such as the new voting laws in Georgia. Jim, uh, people uh, largely reflecting on the fact that McConnell has spent most of his career uh, giving corporations more political voice, not less. But also, the, this, uh, as The Washington Post this morning puts it, uh, an ongoing fraying between the GOP and corporate America.
3: Yeah, look, I, I think that what's happened during this period is to quote Mark Benioff, business has been the greatest force for social change. I mean, I think it's incredible how well business has done in trying to influence things. Now, you could say, well, business is left wing. I come back and say business is trying so hard uh, to become a force of good. Now, again, David, a force of good may mean a force of bad to some people, but we've seen uh, corporations get very involved in order to be able to be pro-social change. And I think that I uh, you could argue that if you're uh, gay, lesbian, you're happy. And if you're anti-gay, lesbian, you're not. But I do think that anti-gay, lesbian is certainly not in the keeping of the Constitution.
1: No, listen, you're uh, it, it's so interesting, Jim, we've and let's not forget, we've been following this long before the pandemic sort of overtook us the growth of ESG investing the pressure being brought on many corporations in terms of their carbon footprint, in terms of their governance and the way they approach the world, social justice perhaps being a part of that as well. And the feeling on their part that it wasn't just about shareholders, but their other constituencies, including of course the consumers of their products and their employees that made them feel as though they needed to engage. But there's a danger there. And it's something that I've actually spent a good amount of time talking to a number of CEOs about for our evolve series it's online including chuck robbins from cisco take a listen what he had to say
3: when we decide to talk externally what what are we trying to achieve what is it Uh, and um, in some cases it's it's just a fundamental agreement that you know our country and and others need to hear leaders uh you know trying to speak to issues to bring around hopefully more unity than we see in the country. It really depends on the issue, but we, we really spend a lot of time talking through them. We don't do it lightly, and uh, some of them are super clear and some of them are not, and some are more controversial than others, but it's it's just a complicated world that we live in.
1: Mitch McConnell may not want to hear from CEOs, but the sense is, I think, certainly when you listen to Mr. Robbins, that you are going to continue to see many corporations
3: engage. We'll be right back on Squadron Street. All right, Jim, what's on Mad tonight? I got Surface now and Qualtrics. I also have Honeywell and David. I'll, I see you're Darren Woods and I, and I raise you with Will. I am. OK, so you think that you have somebody big that I didn't know about. You didn't know I have Will. I am. Take that.
2: <laughs> that shut him up. <laughs> Jim, well, we'll see you tonight.
3: All right. Mad thank money, you, guys. 6
2: p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, relatively stable markets, although we could get an S&P high in a few moments.
1: You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At P-Jim, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals.